You're listening to the Kurdistan in America podcast, the official podcast of the Kurdistan Regional Government Representation in Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Dulovan Barwari. Welcome to the first episode of Season 4. In this episode, I have the honor of speaking with Ms. Jennifer Gavido, the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Iran, Iraq, and Public Diplomacy at the Department of State's Bureau of Near Eastern Affairs. We discussed her role at the Department of State, Erbil Baghdad relations, the political and security situation in Kurdistan and rest of Iraq, including security issues in the broader region, as well as her personal story and view of the Kurdistan region. Das Gavido previously served as the Minister Counselor for Political Affairs at the U.S. Embassy in London. She has spent most of her foreign service career working in and on the Middle East. And now, a very warm welcome to Das Gavido. Ms. Gavido, welcome to the Kurdistan America podcast. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. It's a pleasure having you. You're the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Iran and Iraq and Public Diplomacy at the State Department's Bureau of Near Eastern Affairs. It's a pretty big portfolio in a complicated part of the world. Now, please tell our listeners a little bit about your job. What is it like on a normal day, including the public diplomacy part? Sure. Um, so the Iraq and Iran piece, I think, are a little bit more uh, traditional roles here at the State Department. I oversee the offices that are responsible for the policy formulation uh, and the policy execution. We work really closely with uh, colleagues throughout the U.S. government, throughout the interagency, um, with the White House, of course, um, and probably most importantly with our with our embassy in Baghdad and with our consulate general in Erbil. Um, and our goal is to um, strengthen the U.S.-Iraqi, uh, and by virtue of that, of course, our relationship with the KRG, um, by continuing to build on uh, a couple of decades now of partnership in ways that uh, advances our mutual interests and uh, makes, frankly, life for normal Iraqis uh, better. And so that's that's the goal of our pretty sizable, sizable team here. I, I do the same on Iran, although I, of course, note that we don't have uh, and have not had an embassy in Tehran for, for many, many years. That's more complicated. I'm sure we'll have an opportunity to talk about our relationship with Iran. Um, but uh, nonetheless, it is a, a fascinating portfolio and gives us an opportunity to, to support the democratic aspirations of the protesters that we see right now, uh, to work with the Iranian diaspora to understand what is happening inside of Iran, um, and of course, to, to ensure that the president's commitment that Iran will never get a nuclear weapon uh, is realized. So it is a fascinating job. As you note, I also am responsible for public diplomacy. Um, that is a portfolio that I picked up uh, just this last spring, and I joke that it is the, the brightness in my day it is a chance to engage with, uh, with people throughout the Middle East, um, particularly youth, uh, to welcome them to the United States on exchange programs, uh, to work with professionals uh, in professional development areas, 
uh, providing expertise and building networks, um, building on mutual understanding, helping to uh, bring people from throughout the region here to the United States to continue their studies in American universities. It, it, it's really a lot of fun. It gives me a chance to engage with youth to hear more about them and what their goals are for the region. Uh, so it's a part of the job that I, I really, really love. That is a very exciting sets of responsibilities. I assume that the public diplomacy part is more civil society engagement, right? Is and an education it, it exchanges. Civil society engagement, but not not exclusively. Uh, so I was talking with colleagues yesterday about our Fulbright program, which is one of the the capstone programs where we. Uh, send American scholars to the Middle East, and we welcome uh, Middle East scholars to America. And there are Fulbright programs, not just in the areas of civil society, democracy, academics, um, but engineering, uh, science and technology, water management, um, a whole host of things that, like I said, kind of encapsulate our, our shared interests. Um, and so it really does go beyond um, it goes beyond the normal boundaries of, of U.S. interests into areas uh, where we are hoping to enhance and expand our cooperation in the years and decades to come. Fascinating. There's a lot to talk about, but we'll focus on the diplomatic side today. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, your role includes oversight over Iraq and Iran. How would you describe the U.S. relationship between the two countries uh, and their relationship with each other? Sure. Um, let me start since, you know, we are uh, 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 Kurdistan focused today um, and certainly Iraq. So let me start with the U.S.-Iraq relationship. The United States and Iraq uh, enjoy what, what we define as an enduring partnership. It's rooted in mutual desires to see the, a democratic Iraq uh, sovereign, secure and stable. But our shared interests really, um, especially in recent years, extend far beyond the security relationship that a lot of people think about when they when they think about our two countries. We enjoy what our assistant secretary called a 360 degree relationship. And I really like how that uh, creates a picture in one's mind of a partnership that includes things like security, clean energy, uh, climate, water, trade, investment, education, anti-corruption, human rights. Um, essentially all of the same issues that we talk about with our bilateral partners all around the world. Um, a hallmark, in other words, of what we would consider to be a normal and strategic relationship. The vision that, that I just laid out uh, for both of our countries was actually encapsulated by the U.S.-Iraq Strategic Framework Agreement in 2008. The U.S. and Iraq, including the Kurdistan Regional Government, reaffirmed that cooperation during a July 2021 strategic dialogue and strengthened our commitment to broadening and deepening the long-term strategic partnership on key areas like the ones that I just mentioned. Um, part of that, to, to go back to the public diplomacy piece, is a real focus on expanding, for example, cultural and educational exchanges, but also looking at things like energy efficiency, energy independence, climate change, the, the challenges that are really going to be confronting us uh, in, the, in the decades ahead. And so the Biden administration um, and the, the State Department really view that agreement as the strong foundation of what we hope to be a long-term strategic deep partnership and relationship. Um, part of that, of course, is the very important relationship that we have 
with the Kurdistan region. Um, I can talk about that now or I can wait um, and and come back to that if you want to delve a little bit more deeply. Um, but of course, as you know, we are very proud of our longstanding and historic partnership with Iraq's Kurdish people. I guess we could delve into that. Uh, that, would, that would have been my next question. I, we could zoom a little bit closer and discuss the KRG, how strategic partnership between the KRG, the Kurdistan region, and the United States in the war against ISIS and regional stabilization. Uh, so I wanted to know, how would you describe the U.S.-Kurdistan relationship today? Um, like I said, we're really proud of our longstanding and historic partnership with Iraq's Kurdish people. Um, that, that relationship was really forged in shared sacrifice, combating the tyranny um, and, of and, and confronting ISIS. And so our relationship with the KRG today is, we believe, on very good terms, due in large part to that historic bond, but also to, to current and enduring shared interests. Over the past, I guess, three decades, our, our strategic relationship has really matured, uh, in our view, into what we would consider to be a balanced partnership, including cooperation on counterterrorism, economic development, cultural heritage, cultural heritage issues, and human rights. Um, and it's it's worth noting that the KRG uh, enjoys really bipartisan support, uh, both within the Congress, um, but also from the American public. One of the the benefits, though, if you know we're being honest about a strategic partnership, is the ability to really have a, a give and take uh, in the relationship and and to give and receive candid counsel when we have concerns or when we together face challenges. Um, and so right now we're we're a bit focused um, on concerns about how our Kurdish friends in Iraq are are putting their hard-fought achievements uh, at risk by internal divisions. And these divisions not only hurt the IKR's semi-autonomous position within a united and federal Iraq, but also the overall prospects for security and stability in Iraq and the broader region itself. And so we spend some time um, encouraging our, our, our friends and colleagues uh, in, the, in the IKR uh, to engage as a united front when they, when they go to Baghdad. Uh, that's been our message to the KDP and the PUK really ever since Secretary Albright brokered that peace agreement between them in 1998. Um, and let's be honest, there are other actors like Iran, which we can we can explore in greater detail, that are that are really adept at exploiting divisions between the Iraqi Kurdistan region and federal Iraq um, and and have it in their interest to exacerbate the Baghdad Erbil tensions uh, and pre prevent uh, those misunderstandings from being resolved, whether it's disputed territory, territories, oil and gas or, or budget allocations. Um, and so this, this uh, problem set has been uh, a basis for a lot of the conversations that we have had with the KRG. Uh, we talk a lot about civil liberties, uh, freedom of expression, freedom of press, freedom of peaceful assembly, um, and encourage uh, the KRG uh, to take those steps that are necessary to make sure that that really privileged position uh, that it enjoys, uh, not just here in Washington, but throughout the states, is preserved and supported um, by continuing to be really kind of a beacon of, of hope in the region. Very well said. So one of the phrases that is commonly re repeated by the current administration is that the U.S. supports a strong KRG within a unified Iraq. Yes. What exactly does that mean? 
that means that uh, we support the KRG continuing to be a part of uh, federal Iraq, uh, continuing to uh, have a, a, a role to play in Iraq's future, but also that uh, preserves the autonomous nature of the relationship that has been uh, negotiated with, with Baghdad. Um, and so continuing to support the, the status quo, as it were, um, we believe that it takes all parts of Iraq in order to create that stability, that security, that sovereignty uh, that we that we aspire and we know that that all Iraqis aspire to. Yeah, so one of the issues that has been very contentious between the KRG and Baghdad, the one that has been in the media more, most recently is the dispute over oil and gas and also the KRG's share of the national budget. So given the statement, there's strong KRG within the unified Iraq, would that mean that the U.S. is willing to mediate between the two so that these issues are resolved and the unity is preserved and the KRG at the same time is is kept strong? Listen, I, I, I don't want to get ahead of any any official discussions that that go on. Um, and so, you know, as far as what role the United States plays uh, in private conversations is not something that that I can speak to. What I can say is the United States has always taken uh, an interest in making sure um, and supporting uh, that vision as, as we just laid out of, of um, a, a strong KRG within, within a unified Iraq. Um, and so we continue to engage with actors all over the country, both in the KRG um, and also in, in federal Iraq um, to essentially pass the message that I, that I just conveyed um, that really reinforces the constructive nature of dialogue, um, of talking through differences in order to find a way forward. Um, but the, the differences that we have seen um, and the conflicts are ultimately only resolvable by the parties themselves. And so uh, we continue to encourage that dialogue. We continue um, to you know, offer, offer our views uh, where they are constructive, um, but it is long-term something that can only uh, be worked out between the parties. Now let's turn to Baghdad. After a year-long crisis in Iraq, caused by the political paralysis after the election, of course, Iraq finally has a government, and the KRG has been given full support to the current prime minister, Sudani. But corruption and lack of public services has been one of the main drivers for popular demand for reform since the Trishim protests. First, what is your view on the new, new cabinet, and can it meet popular demand? Sure. Um, we welcomed the appointment, uh, publicly and privately, of Prime Minister Sudani and his cabinet. And we also conveyed throughout the process our strong desire for an inclusive government that can address the needs of the Iraqi people. We stand ready to work with the new Iraqi government on a whole range of shared interests, from improving services for Iraq's people to ensuring a safe, stable Iraq where everybody can live in peace. Prime Minister Sudani has voiced his support for improving respect for human rights, for increasing economic opportunity, for combating climate change and fighting corruption. We welcome all of these comments and are very eager to see him put those words into action. 
it's been uh, more than three years now since the Iraqi people took to the streets to demand economic opportunity and end to endemic corruption and uh, for improved public services. Unfortunately, uh, in our view, the demands of these Iraqis remain largely unmet. So the onus now really will be on the new government to uh, dispense with the status quo and enact bold policies that really uh, move forward with improving their lives. Um, to, your, to your specific point about corruption, um, you know, that is obviously an important piece of that. Corruption is a formidable impediment to economic opportunity. Um, and so we have been very heartened to see Prime Minister Sudani's calls for addressing uh, for addressing <clears throat> what we see again as as an endemic corruption. The Iraqi people need action uh, in addition to words, though, and it really is up to Iraq's new leaders to end the corrupt status quo, sanitize public payrolls, uh, make it easier to start a business, uh, all as a starting point. And so again, that's where we welcomed Iraq's participation in the first summit for democracy uh, as a partner championing championing uh, anti-corruption, rule of law, respect for human rights, and the protection of space for civil society to operate freely. Uh, we're looking forward to working with the new government to refine and, and actualize Iraq's summit for democracy commitments during this year of action uh, prior to the next summit. So does Washington have any leverage on Baghdad to address these issues, to ensure that these issues are addressed? Um, you know, we uh, have a variety of tools that we use um, around the world to help combat corruption, um, whether it's global magnitsky sanctions or uh, on the, on the you know, more positive side, uh, technical assistance. Um, and so this is, you know, something that we look forward to working with. Uh, the Sudani government uh, in order to see how we might be helpful here. We have uh, significant expertise. Other countries, for what it's worth, uh, also have a lot of expertise. A lot of corruption is, you know, again, I go back to the word endemic. Um, it's structuralized. Uh, and so it it requires taking a look at some of the structures of government and, and how they can be updated uh, in order to ensure that corrupt practices don't uh, aren't allowed to permeate the, the bureaucratic systems. Um, so yes, uh, you know we we have we have leverage, we have tools, we have support, we have a whole variety of ways that we can uh, help the Iraqi government uh, to move forward with this agenda item. Um, fundamentally, uh, as mentioned, you know we we can't do more than what the government itself wants to do. And so right now, you know, our communication is that, that they have a partner in us. We're ready to, to move forward with this uh, as they are. Very well. So now I want to ask you a related question uh, about the contentious issues or the disputes between Baghdad and Erbil, and it's over the oil and gas issues. In February of last year, the Iraqi federal court issued a surprise ruling that the Kurdistan region's oil and gas laws is unconstitutional. Later, the previous oil minister used the ruling to threaten, harass, and bully KRG and international oil companies, and some of them were American ones. Now, the U.S. Ha government has invested about $300 million in the Kurdish energy sector. And some have criticized Washington for not speaking out for the American companies as well as KRG, the partner, U.S. partner. What's your take on that? And how can the situation be resolved? What is the best path forward? Sure. 
first of all, I would say uh, at the outset that I, I think that criticism is is completely misplaced. Uh, since the federal Supreme Court decision on February 15th, uh, we've consulted with energy companies and conducted advocacy at, at the highest levels um, of the Iraqi government on behalf of U.S. companies. Our advocacy efforts are really targeted at seeking to mitigate the negative impacts of that decision, calm global energy markets, and foster stability. Iraqis, uh, including the Kurds, have, as we all know, long yearned for greater economic opportunity. And our hope is to work with the new government and with the KRG uh, to help implement transparency and regulatory reforms that will boost the economy and private sector activity. With the right enabling environment, we, we really believe that U.S. companies will once again uh, be in a position to view Iraq and the IKR in particular as a destination for foreign direct investment uh, in ways that help create solely, sorely needed jobs for uh, your growing population. That being said, an essential factor in that equation is that there has to be a strong, healthy relationship between Erbil and Baghdad. Um, in accordance with Iraq's constitution. And that is part of why we have repeatedly expressed our hope uh, that the KRG and the federal government can come to an agreement on a new hydrocarbons law as soon as possible. So we will continue to encourage the parties to find a way forward that supports uh, not just the existing investment, but also the future investment and advances the interests of the Iraqi people. Um, I just want to reiterate that promoting a strong KRG within a unified and federal Iraq isn't only uh, an economic boon. It is absolutely essential to the region's stability and to the enduring defeat of ISIS. Baghdad and Erbil are both more secure and more prosperous when they reinforce their respective stability. And so we will continue to work with them to encourage their efforts to resolve this range of tensions. Very well. Now let's turn to Turkey. Turkey is a NATO member and a U.S. strategic partner and ally as well. But Ankara has been at war with the PKK for over three decades. And Ankara has been conducting airstrikes in the Kurdistan region as far as Sinjar region, causing many casualties. And most recently, Turkey has been conducting airstrikes in Rojava, including the Al-Hol camp that's holding 50,000 ISIS family members and supporters. They also attacked a base that was housing U.S. soldiers in Rojava. Now, there's a lot at stake here. It's undermining the war against ISIS and the stability of the entire region. Ankara says that they're poised to fight PKK, the threat against Turkey, the terrorist threat, as they call it, against Turkey. And they're getting ready to wage a new ground offensive. This is really, as I mentioned, destabilizing and it's impacting Rojava, Iraqi Kurdistan, as far as Sinjar. Now, what is the U.S. position on that? Sure. I mean, first of all, as you mentioned, uh, recent airstrikes in Syria directly threaten the safety of U.S. personnel or partners and Syrian civilians. But, but to clarify, uh, no strikes impacted inside a coalition compound um, or the whole displaced persons camp that we're aware of. You're also correct that we are very concerned about a potential further offensive by Turkish forces and Turkish supported armed opposition groups in northern Syria. 
um, and in, partic in particular, the impact it could have on the civilian population. Um, and so we have urged all parties to immediately de-escalate. The escalation in Syria um, and along the Turkish-Syrian border in recent weeks is, uh, we consider to be a, a dangerous, is dangerous and a threat to the safety of, of both civilians and our personnel. We oppose military action that further destabilizes the lives of communities in Syria and risks uh, the global coalition's hard-earned progress against ISIS. We have consistently communicated these concerns to Turkey and to our local Syrian partners, um, particularly about the impact of escalation on our de-ISIS goals and on civilians on both sides of the border. We do not believe that military escalation that destabilizes the situation in Syria will resolve Turkey's legitimate security concerns related to terrorism. Now, is there a more holistic approach to address the root cause of the Kurdish-Turkish conflict in Turkey? Sure. I can address this from the Turkey-Iraq and the Turkey-KRG angle, uh, okay. specifically where the U.S. has a strong interest in uh, promoting security and sovereignty. Um, we consider the PKK to be a terrorist organization and therefore believe that its presence in northern Iraq is both illegitimate and provocative and, frankly, um, gives pretext to some of these operations. A at the same time, we've expressed our concern about the operations in the Iraqi Kurdistan region and have urged the government of Turkey to coordinate more closely with Iraqi authorities on cross-border military operations against terrorist targets and to protect civilians from harm. Um, here it bears repeating that that point and the nexus that it has to uh, your earlier question about Iran. Um, you know, we uh, we do our part to de-escalate uh, tensions, um, and at the same time, it is it is important for the Iraqi government, the Iraqi federal government, and the government of of the IKR um, to be in dialogue uh, with their neighbors about their security concerns and the impact that it will have on the Iraqi people. My own village is occupied by the PKK and Turkish army right now. Oof. Now let's turn to you. Where do you call home? Sure. Um, um, I grew up uh, in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, what some in the United States call flyover country, uh, but I uh, you know, really represents uh, the the heart of Americana. Uh, in fact, the 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 middle of the United States was was not far from my house. Um, I left Kansas City really for the first time uh, as an exchange student uh, to West Germany at the time in 1990, um, and had kind of my first taste of of the broader world, which which really sparked a, a passion. Uh, for for diplomacy and for using personal connections in order to resolve uh, what are seemingly intractable conflicts. Um, so I came back and I uh, I promptly uh, went off to Washington D.C. Uh, where I studied at American University, uh, and then shortly after uh, that, in a quick stint at the Department of the Treasury, uh, I joined the State Department at I think age 23. Oh, wow. uh, so I have been doing this for, for uh, 25 years now uh, and have had the opportunity to live primarily in, uh, in Europe and, and certainly throughout the Middle East. Um, and it has uh, really been uh, the passion of, of my life. Uh, and I feel so lucky to, to get to do something that I love and to uh, have an opportunity to kind of actualize uh, what I as a 15 year old 
uh, learned during that that exchange year back in back in 1990. Very interesting. So the exchange program motivated. That was a motivating. That was the driver for you to get into diplomacy and come to Washington. Absolutely. The opportunity to see that that two people uh, or more people sitting down and, and talking through things just offers a completely different perspective on problems than than communicating with each other over, you know, over boundaries and, and borders. So how often you're in Washington now and you're you're traveling abroad, you've been across the world and, and right now you're handling the Iraq and Iran portfolios or the desk. Uh, how often do you visit Kansas or home? I go back a couple times a year. In the meantime, uh, my husband grew up in Colorado and we've purchased a home uh, in the mountains of Colorado that for my kids in particular uh, has really been their their home base over the last decade or so. Um, so I go to Kansas City uh, usually once a year, uh, but we spend as much time as possible as we can in our, in our home in, in Colorado. Very well. So you, you had a chance to visit family in Christmas? I did. Uh, I actually uh, drove cross country by myself. Wow. Uh, yes, uh, my family met me there, but I, I drove. Uh, I drove through Kansas City and spent a couple of days with my family there, and then kept driving, uh, and had a couple of days to uh, to relax and uh, unwind a bit at our at our cabin in Colorado before uh, before my family descended and, and we had fantastic holidays there. Amazing. Glad to hear that. Now, you've visited Kurdistan several times. I'm curious to know, when was the first time you heard about Kurdistan? You know, I, I was trying to remember. I, I think there was a CNN commercial uh, about it. Uh, time starts to blur over the, over the years. Um, but I, I remember um, just seeing somewhere um, in the news channels these images of of a place that didn't remind me of what I pictured in Iraq at all, uh, and seeing pictures of of greenery and and beautiful vistas, uh, and that was kind of my first um, the first awareness that I had. Um, you know, interestingly, I didn't have a lot of experience with Iraq prior to uh, coming into this job. I've had a lot of experience throughout the Middle East. Um, and so, you know, as Iraq becomes uh, a regional actor, um, it was important to have that broader experience. But um, it was, you know, really once I, I learned I was going to do this job that I started, you know, reading about uh, the Kurdistan region uh, and the, the challenges that the Kurdish people have experienced um, over the course of decades and educating myself on the, the tremendous partnership and the tremendous history. Um, and so it's been a real learning experience for me, but I'm so glad that I, I as you know, now have, have had a chance uh, to spend a good amount of time there and really get to know the people uh, and appreciate those, those early images that I saw of, of what is truly a spectacular part of the world. Very well. Now a related question. What is a word or phrase that describes Kurdistan for you now? I think bright. Uh, right. The the people are are energetic and and engaging. The as I said, the 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 beauty of it. It's it's bright. It's colorful. Um, and then I think not to not to sound too cliche, but but I think too that the opportunity uh, 
the opportunity in the future are very bright. You know, the Kurdistan region has all of the necessary pieces um, for an extraordinarily prosperous uh, and stable and exciting future. Um, and so it is such a privilege to get to partner um, with our, our, our friends and colleagues there to help, you know, kind of uh, move forward that, that shared vision. Have you had the chance to visit the countryside? Uh, a little bit, uh, m- mostly from uh, from the boundaries of of, of our cars. Okay. Uh, I have had an opportunity to get up into the hills and 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 see uh, see a bit outside of Erbil, um, but there is very definitely a lot more to explore. Two areas that I recommend, yes. but I'm kind of biased. I would tell you to visit Ahmadiyya district and Barzan. As well as Shaklava, and, and and there are some beautiful areas in Suleimani as well. I look forward to it. I greatly appreciate this opportunity for the interview. Thank you so much, and thank you for the kind words and for having patience. It, it was a pleasure. Uh, I'm glad that we could finally make this work, um, and uh, look forward to continuing to work together. It's an honor having you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Kurdistan in America podcast, the official podcast of the Kurdistan Regional Government representation in Washington, D.C. Please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast either on Buzzsprout, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google. Also, for more information about the Kurdistan region, please visit our website at www.us.gov.krd or follow us on Twitter at krg_usa. USA.